Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Welcome back to Pride On Screen. I'm Travel Anderson, the Director of Culture and Entertainment for Out Magazine and your friendly neighborhood collard greens and cornbread feminist. I'm taking the month of June to look back at monumental moments in film and television for LGBTQ plus characters. Over the course of this mini-series, I'm taking four episodes to discuss the representation of gay men, lesbian women, bi plus folks, and trans folks with some of the most premier LGBTQ plus minds you need to be paying attention to. Last week, we covered the representation of gay men. I wanted to start with gay men because they have been the most visible in film and television, with those characters experiencing the widest range of the types of characters we see. Um, but let's be real, it's a whole bunch of white men for the most part, and we need to diversify that still a whole lot more. As a reminder, 18.2% of major studio films have an LGBTQ character and only 8.8% of characters as regulars on broadcast scripted series are LGBTQ. That info comes to us from GLAAD, the leading LGBTQ media monitoring organization. Now, this week, we're making room for the ladies, zeroing in on lesbian representation, which I guess we should say is finally on par with gay representation, numerically speaking, of course, when it comes to film portrayals, right? But on TV, gay men still take up entirely too much space with 42% of LGBTQ characters being gay and only 25% for lesbians. I am joined by two ladies that know a whole lot more about being lesbians than I. Trish Bendix, former editor of AfterEllen.com and Into Magazine, and Karen Tonkson, co-host of the podcast Waiting to Exhale and a media studies professor at USC. We break it all down and reflect on the good, the bad, and the horny. Enjoy. All right. Thank you, lovely ladies, for joining me. How are you doing, Trish? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. And lovely Karen. Hey, Travel. Hi, Trish. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you both for joining us. We're talking about wonderful lesbian representation on screen. My first question for both of you is, who's that first character or that first person that, like, you remember connecting with in media, on a film, in a television show, wherever? We'll start with you, Trish. Um, so as a femme presenting person, I remember mostly seeing lesbian depictions as sort of like the butch, bulldaggery, negative sort of portrayals when I was growing up. And mm-hmm. so there was never anything in it that I saw that was for myself all outside of like a ring of keys sort of like, but in a fascination kind of way where I was like, oh, that's interesting to, to watch. And, you know, there was some sort of connection, but I never really saw myself mm-hmm. per se until um, and then I, I remember consuming other LGBT media like uh, Queer as Folk, but not connecting with those lesbians either because I thought that they were so awful. Um, I really did not like them. Um, so it wasn't until actually I saw Jamie Babbitt's But I'm a Cheerleader. And, and I never was a cheerleader, for the record, but Natasha Leone's character was very sort of like high femme, um, unaware of her homosexuality until she met someone that was, you know, androgynous. I don't like Sinead that way. Which way is that? Clothes? We weren't doing anything. Doesn't matter. Why are you freaking out? I'm not supposed to like you. Um, like a little slightly more masculine of center, but Clea Duvall was so hot to me in that movie. <laughs> like, and I know that's a lot of lesbian awakenings for a lot of um, women my age. I'm 35, so I think of a certain generation. Clea Duvall played that in The Faculty as well. Like a movie where she wasn't even gay, but like she had that vibe. So, right. but, but I'm a Cheerleader was the first time that I remember. Also because it had, um, because it was satirical, because there was a sense of comedy around it. It wasn't just like completely tragic. I just really connected with it and I felt... That was the first time I felt kind of like hopeful about, you know, being a queer woman. Mm, Lovely. Karen? Well, this will betray my age, which is a significant (laughs) gap from where Trish uh, begins. And I'm 45, actually. So I have a solid decade of trashy entertainment uh, as a buffer. Actually, you know, I, I state my age because 
I sort of came of age in a moment where we took so much pleasure in all the insinuations of queerness, mm. or at least the kind of tingles that you get from things that weren't necessarily made so explicit, but that just that did in some way like call you. So um, the first person who I gravitated towards that I have any memory of gravitating towards in any erotic way <laughs> was Sabrina from uh, Charlie's Angels. Oh. Kate Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it is no wonder that I am married to a brunette woman <laughs> today. Um, so, you know, so I was like, why do I find her so fascinating? <laughs> and, and I used to, at the same time, this was in the Philippines that I was watching these shows, watch Chips at the same time. So I <laughs> I guess as a butch presenting person, one of my first like places of cross identification was Ponch from Chips. Oh my god! You know, so Eric Estrada. <laughs> yes. And so you can imagine the slash fantasy possibilities there. Uh, but also, uh, I have to say that it, you know, more explicitly, even though still unstated, was Joe from The Facts of Life. Mm-hmm. So you're Nancy McKeon again, that kind of like with her loose necktie from prep school, mm-hmm. constantly, you know, like in this tension with Blair. Mm-hmm. Again, this says a lot about my erotic formation, probably. <laughs> intimate friendships. Exactly, you know? yeah. yeah. Intimate friendships, but even just like, Blair, do you need me to take care of that for you? Um, <laughs> that's totally where I think, you know, I mean, I guess it was, I was still sort of functioning in that world where, yeah, you insinuate yourself into the story and it becomes a part of your sort of fantasy projection. And then I remember, like many people my age, the first time, for some reason, late night on somebody's cable television, scenes from Personal Best Mm. flashed before me and I was like, wait, are they... Are they touching each other? <laughs> Are they kissing? They're not just sweating and doing sports in the way that I'm supposed to be like, oh, yeah, I get what's happening. I'm actually seeing something explicit. I think that that's when, like, oh, my God, you can actually represent and depict, uh, you know, same-sex female desire on screen. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that we've been hearing over and over as we look at LGBTQ representation on screen is that, you know, in the early years, you there were so many characters that were like coded as queer mm-hmm. but like weren't explicitly mm-hmm. queer um i guess because of the socio-political time period they couldn't do that mm-hmm. um but in my research for this episode i was trying to look at like you know the oldest like moment that like the oldest first lesbian character mm. um and i stumbled on this website that claims to basically like track all of that up through 2017. Mm-hmm. The the website's called lgbtfansdeserveBetter.com, mm-hmm. um, which yes, and the first one that we pulled up was Executive Suite from 1976. Ooh. There is an episode in their first season. It was only a one season show. It was one of those situations where it was a lesbian who was married to a man, but she ended up like having feelings for this woman who was also married to another man, uh-huh. but they were like best friends. You know, we've seen that a number of different times. I'm assuming that the legendary les- lesbian bar in Long Beach called Executive Suite pulled its name from this show. Oh, so. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that tidbit. Well, there you go. Didn't know that even existed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so in in one of their episodes, like I said, it's it's this woman named Julie, played by Geraldine Brooks, who is married to this man, but then she confesses her love to um, this other female character, um, and then some male character comes out of any somewhere and like says, "Oh, I think that your wife is a lesbian," and then. They both kind of go crazy. Somebody walks into traffic and gets hit by a car. Um, And that's how that storyline ends. That's Um. how it always ended for a while, right? (laughs) I mean, also, I think that from, you know, from having read in media studies that there were in the 70s, at least, some explicit uh, sort of in the late 70s films about women in prison where there was always the kind of rapacious bull dagger Mm -hmm. at the prison. Mm. I can't remember the name of the film, but it was in the same era, kind of late 70s, where there is like a butch prison dyke who like, you know, harasses one of the uh, protagonists, one of the runaway teens who ends up in prison or something like that. (laughs) Of course. I mean, and just thinking about, you know, all the pulp novels that were the first sort of like real entry point for, I think, a lot of older lesbians before we, they ever saw themselves on television or on screen. It was like reading these tragic stories of being in like, you know, you know, relationships with women, but something terrible happening at the end to them, like the punishment that had to come if you were allowed to see yourselves in media. It was like, okay, but as long as we are giving you this punishing sort of 
ending so you know this is not you know kosher with everyone so um, sometimes I do enjoy still seeing films like that because I do like repression and you know like all those sort of like hot things that we you tension know, you, desire yeah. yes. but then also you know we don't want to only <laughs> see right. those things so that's where I think we have the frustration of trying to figure out what those you know the balance now of being able to see ourselves happy and ending up in a positive relationship one of the characters I wanted to bring up because this I for some reason this I didn't know this um, the character of Jackie on Roseanne mm-hmm. okay so now I was on this website like poking around I was like oh Jackie on Roseanne hmm what is going on um, <laughs> and I was reading and apparently af- at the original series' end the way they kind of spin the story is that Roseanne is actually writing a book and like everything mm-hmm. that you've seen up to that point she's writing a book and like she's changed certain things in the story and turns out that Jackie her sister in real life but not necessarily in the story that we've seen through the show yeah. is lesbian mm-hmm. and I wanted to bring that up to ask you both about just this idea of <laughs> the, the wicked laughter I know I'm like what I was like what's it gonna be the, just I think it struck me as interesting mm-hmm. that the way I feel like a lot of the ways that we see queer people represented in a lot of things it's just kind of like subtle inclusion whether it's because the character is coded as some sort of queer or their queerness is some potential queerness or some sort of like potential joke in the narrative. Like a side inclusion. Yes. It's just not like side inclusion. She yeah. could have just been a lesbian and it just, it's, you know, I mean, <laughs> Roseanne was the, the lead. Like I just, I just, I should also say, I guess this is also the eighties, right? Late eighties mm-hmm. when it, when it kicked when it off. Started, when it started. And by started. the time, by the time we're getting to the end of Roseanne, we're getting to like that, you know, kind of po- like post Clintonian moment where people are, you know, in politics and in public discourse, beginning to talk about things like AIDS right. mm-hmm. and that there is a kind of shift in entertainment culture and public discourse. Although I, I, I think it's kind of funny. I like to think that maybe Roseanne's writing of, or kind of writing over mm-hmm. Jackie's lesbianism um, is is kind of like a nod to Ellen, which shared the same network, which uh, for so many yes. seasons. Also, you get to see because that was part of the the you know the Laurie Metcalf character. That's part of her shtick on the Roseanne sitcom is that she was just like had this terrible time dating men, right? right? In the same really awkward way that Ellen, for so many years mm-hmm. on her own sitcom, just you know had these very very unconvincing and awkward dates with yeah. so many dudes right I know you wanted to speak about Northern Exposure mm-hmm. and one of their episodes the Sicily episode from I I, every, every opportunity 90s. I get I, I try to talk about this episode of television um, because it is like turn of the 20th century like you know these like kind of society lesbians in like petticoats but who are getting ready to like tromp off into the west and you know create a new like utopian culture (laughs) like you Uh know there's something about that uh, vibe Mm -hmm. and and they are like you know especially because the Sicily episode of Northern Exposure is the origin story of the town Sicily Alaska where everybody all these quirky people happen to dwell and it's it's about how the town was basically founded by these two lesbians um, one of whom, you know, whatever, suffers consumption eventually uh, because of her delicate constitution and, and, you know, and eventually fades away. But that she forever transformed this town and turned it into this place that had this kind of cultural direction and ethos. And I really love that. And coming out in 19, in like with, with it coming out in 1991. Mm-hmm. That's pretty early on in the kind of primetime representations of lesbianism. Yeah. I think it was done in in such a like, I don't know, like in such an artful manner. At the same time, it totally tickled all of the like kind of uh, hot lady tropes of the '90s. You know, like sort of pallid. That's the other thing too. Is mm. like you know, uh, uh, there are a lot of representations of lesbianism, but like lesbians of color, it's been like a lot harder to to find those models. It's like it's even later that we begin to find some of those models circulating in mainstream entertainment, mm-hmm. uh, even though they existed elsewhere. And so it's like in ma- like mainstream television, those sorts of things. That's that's very hard to come by, um, and. And this Sicily, to me, that Sicily episode, Northern Northern Exposure, 
is yeah like a real tra- you know transformative moment in TV even though probably not enough people saw it <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I gotta watch that it's, it's like yeah I still have the VHS <laughs> uh, which <laughs> 1991 is when Law and Order I think or I think it was LA Law that had the first ever lesbian kiss on television mm-hmm. so it's interesting that it came out the same year yeah for sure one film that I think we have to discuss is Set It Off which, you know, it's a 1996 film. It starred the legendary Queen Latifah, Kimberly Elise, Vivica A. Fox, Jada Pinkett Smith. And they basically play these these four, you know, best friends in the hood who decide that they're going to rob some banks to, you know, get out of their particular circumstances. And it was legendary, I think, in this conversation because Queen Latifah plays this, you know, she was this butch lesbian who has a femme female partner, right? And it's just... Like no one, it's not a problem, right? No one is is having an issue with her in this particular context. I just really love it. As someone who's attracted to masculine of center women, that was like the first time I'd ever seen someone that really. I mean, she, she definitely has a tragic. Like no spoilers, I guess. But if you Listen, haven't seen if it, if you haven't seen it by now, <laughs> it's, it's over twenty yeah, years, folks. Yes. I know, but yeah. So I mean, but she was a part of her friendship group. She, like she was accepted among. She had people. Like mm-hmm. most of the time, it's like no offense to Leah Delaria, but she often plays these people that are sort of like, a, okay, I guess we'll allow her to be here, but she's kind of gross and she's making women feel uncomfortable but Cleo wasn't like that right. you know Cleo was a part of the fabric of her group she had this hot girlfriend yes. like she was such a stud yeah so I and I thought she was just so cool and so hot so that to me like definitely stood out of, among what you were just saying but I mean there are that time I, I so I was pretty young in the late 90s but I remember watching those things after I came out around like 2005 going back and sort of revisiting those things that maybe I'd watched without knowing I was queer and then you know being able to sort of find that I had that in me mm-hmm. at that point but didn't really know how to you know to figure that out for myself so um, I, I still love Set It Off if it's on TV I'll still watch it let's okay. play the trailer for Set It Off because it's everything <laughs> they started laying people off they was paying folks $15 an hour at that place mm, that's good money $15 an hour I'll be old what I gotta do sir <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could just get out of here. Hey, Darnell, I didn't know you had an account here. We're going to have to let you go. The fact that you knew the perpetrator doesn't sit well with us. Do you know Lorenz and him got away with 20 grand? That's what we need to do. Rob a bank. That's stupid. Ain't nobody over here going to be robbing no bank. We going to end up dead anyways. Maybe that's the way to go. Firing off a nod. You're just taking away from the system that's doing us all anyway. What if something goes wrong? What if somebody gets hurt? Let's do it. All right, check it out. Y'all can roll with that right there. Well, we ain't robbing stage coaches. I need something I can set it off with. I ain't feeling this, Frankie. This ain't right. Okay. They seem to know the inner workings of each bank. Their MO is in and out. Please do not be misled by the fact that these four bandits are female. Thousand dollars and ninety seconds. We said once to get us enough change to get us up out of here. You ain't getting far on three grand. Don't make me get ugly up in here, ladies and gentlemen. All these women run together, getting way over the heads, aren't they? I just remember the death scene of Queen Latifah's character. Mm. It's like one of the best death scenes I've seen in film. I mean, just seeing the trailer again, I mean, beyond this failure of any kind of lesbian representation, it's such a great film, period. And to me, it is just so like, I remember like feeling like that we were coming into something greater for female filmmaking yes. for color filmmaking and also for lesbian representation at the same time you know oh, like. god 
Crooked Minis is brought to you by DoorDash. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat mm-hmm. yourself to the meal you deserve on demand from your favorite restaurant. Restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to all of your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Just use the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat. And your dasher will bring it right to you. John? Yeah? Is your dasher dashing? A dashing dasher who will prance right up to your door with a big red nose. (laughs) Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are too. DoorDash connects you. Door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities and all 50 states across the United States and Canada. Order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, The Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code CROOKEDMINIS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code CROOKEDMINIS. Promo code CROOKEDMINIS. $5 off your first order. DoorDash. Food comes right to your face. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think this is a good idea. I want in to apologize. Please, don't apologize. There's one thing I can't stand is women who apologize for wanting sex. Bound from the Wachowskis. Mm -hmm. I know you and Trish and I, we've had conversations about Bound before. Um, Talk to us about, describe for what what Bound is about. Oh my gosh. um, And what you love about it. (laughs) Well, so Gina Gershon uh, is... She's just like this um, white tank top wearing plumber uh, artist, I think, like or just like a paint. She paints houses, or I don't remember. Perpetually duck facing. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But she plays this masculine of center kind of tough butch, but with like a little bit of a longer haircut. Like I think that was probably what was allowed back then. But she um, and Jennifer Tilly uh, is this like super high femme, super sexy, married to or engaged to some like mob boss guy who, um, you know, they decide to basically steal all their money and make a run for it because they immediately have this chemistry. Um, it's It definitely is sort of like the pulp novel-y sort of feeling to it. The Wachowskis do such a great job. And also what I want, really want to credit them for is they have the hottest sex scenes because they brought in Susie Bright as a sexpert to, you know, show them because they did hire two straight women mm-hmm. to, um, to do, you know, show what lesbian sex is in one of the most mainstream depictions. I mean, I remember seeing Bound, the cover at my local Blockbuster, and that being, oh, that's, what is this? You know, like, that's lesbians. <laughs> like, that was my first sort of real, like, oh, a lesbian movie, but they were not lesbians, obviously. So, um, you want to get it right, and that's how, I mean, the, any lesbian that watches a lesbian movie will tell you if you're not doing it right. Like, when you watch <laughs> Blue is the Warmest Color, people have many opinions about the, that sex scene. But Bound, I think, was really successful because they did bring in a lesbian sex expert to sort of orchestrate what that was going to look like, and the Wachowskis, of course, were at the helm and so I I loved that film also because it did have um, a positive ending it had some comedy to it it was like a little tongue-in-cheek it was um, it was sexy yeah mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was sexy. really it was, sexy I haven't seen it since it originally I, I think I, I mean I, I know that I've seen it at least once since it originally came out but um, but you know I like to kind of have that memory of seeing it during that moment preserved in amber because Mm. I'm like a little bit scared to actually revisit it just because of like the aesthetics of the moment Mm. and like that particular look you know Um, and you know now Jennifer Tilly's a professional poker player the whole thing (laughs) Um, and and but I, I love that I love that it, it became such an important and iconic film for people. And it, it is like, it is a great heist film. It is a total romp. Yeah. Um, and I think that one of the things about a lot of, especially the indie lesbian films, uh, as much as I love them, some of them can be very tedious yeah. and meandering yeah. and not very <laughs> plot driven. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so you're sort of like, yes, I'm appreciating and watching this like, yeah. bit of meandering lesbian art or like independent <laughs> cinema. <laughs> right. But the thing about Bound is that it just like really tapped into like the best kind of genre stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was such a pleasure to watch. And I think that uh, I think that for many, especially I noticed for people of younger generations, that's one of the first films that they'll turn to and say, like, that was the movie. And I remember, like, wow, that was so hot. That's that's what did it for me. You know? <laughs> yeah. In this conversation about lesbian representation on screen, we've got to talk about our sister, Ellen. <laughs> um I, let's play this quick clip of, uh, this is the clip of her, her character coming out as, as gay on the TV show. Why can't I say the word? I mean, why can't I just say 
I mean, what is wrong? That why why do I have to be so ashamed? I mean, why can't I just Susan? I'm gay. That episode airs the night after Ellen does an interview with Oprah, in which. Uh, which preceding there had been weeks of like speculation what's happening on the show there's something Ellen might come out then Ellen does the time cover and she she herself comes out and then yeah. the character comes out all at once it's this moment that is happening um and i was reading somewhere that they call it the that's the the name of the episode is called the puppy episode mm-hmm. and it's called the puppy episode because when they um were having conversations about having the character come out an executive was like why does she have to come out just get her a puppy <laughs> yeah. yeah and yeah. so like that's why they call it the puppy episode yeah. but it was seen by an estimated 44 million people nearly three times the show's usual ratings and it was like a landmark moment what do you both remember about that time period and what was going on Mm. I was in graduate school and I remember the big lead up, you know, already. And I think that I was at the point where I, you know, I was in my like early 20s, early to mid 20s, feeling very jaded about life and everything. (laughs) And 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 uh, but it did. I do remember I kept the Time magazine cover because, you know, because I had watched Ellen before even I came out, right? Before yeah. even I was self-aware of my own sexuality or willing to acknowledge it. And and so to me, it did feel like this tremendous turning point and this coming to fruition of all the things that we've been talking about kind of building in the uh, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And especially like because it was a moment where so many high-profile female celebrities were coming out from mm-hmm. Katie Lang to Melissa Etheridge, Indigo Girls, you know, <laughs> not that they really had to, but they did. Yeah. Um, and and so, to, you know, to get someone as big and with such a platform on primetime television mm-hmm. as Ellen to do that. I, th- and I still teach this historical moment to my students in my U.S. pop culture class because, uh, and, and we talk about the different reasons. Some of them are like pure and joyful and wondrous. Some of them are a little more like insidious and have to do with the culture industry and, mm-hmm. you know, like that there was um, at that point an acknowledgement that there was such a thing as the gay dollar mm-hmm. that you had to, you know, go go out and get. And, you know, on the heels of having so many kind of weird representations of lesbianism on sitcoms like the lesbians on friends Mm -hmm. and their wedding and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. it was nice to have somebody lead the charge and just just it's finally also it's just like to see her feel so relieved to come out in that moment is is very touching still to me yeah it was like she was getting to you know write her own narrative and perform it in the way that on shows like friends or like even seinfeld or like all these really hot 90s sitcoms that would play around with a lesbian character or lesbian characters but still kind of make jokes of them a lot of the time they were not played by actual gay women except for like uh, uh new was it new gingrich's, Luke gingrich's yeah, daughter. daughter that like <laughs> officiated the wedding she was openly lesbian but um you know ellen got to do it herself on her own terms at least from you know what we know obviously there was some behind the scenes things where people were trying to you know orchestrate as much as they could of it but mm-hmm. they uh, ultimately you know allowed it to go to air and she I, shout out to oprah who and laura dern as well for yes. gay rights always <laughs> um you know clearly ellen had a huge um backlash after that moment so you know a lot of respect for her having been able to come back from it but I was so when I it first aired I was think I was 13 so I was kind of young and I didn't realize I was gay yet but I do remember it I do remember it happening and I luck I'm lucky that I grew up in a home that was fairly liberal and progressive so there wasn't any like negative talk around it or anything I remember just it happening and being like oh that's cool and not really getting the complete significance of it until I did realize my own lesbian identity later but I always have found it quite interesting that Ellen uses the word gay for herself yeah that 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 she hmm. sort of establishes mm-hmm. that you know that, that you know there was an aversion to like the use of the word lesbian mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I was like I I love it, loved it then, love it now. But I I know people have issues with the word. You know, yeah, she was very adamant about talking about gay being her preference, mm-hmm. and I think that gay seems so somewhat even strangely more innocuous. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and the yep, I'm gay. Yep, I'm too gay. Right. Yeah. When she gets canceled yep. on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's the other thing too. I'm just like, um, you know, the, the lesbian be- became it remains to a certain extent a kind of dirty word, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of queer female celebrities and explicitly lesbian celebrities don't necessarily always use the word. 
yeah, when it's Lesbian Visibility Day, you'll be hard pressed to find <laughs> actual women <laughs> who identify as lesbian. Um, you know, whenever you're, especially if you're at a publication that's like, oh, let's make a list. And you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. there's seriously like 10 of them and most of them are white. You mm-hmm. have like a Wanda Sykes to add to that list and that's about it. There's really yeah. not a lot of them that openly, like a public figure status. I mean, I don't even know. Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard Robin Roberts say lesbian. I there's I really um, I search for that lesbian. Actually, Lena Waithe has been one of the few that will actually use the word lesbian as well. Mm-hmm. But I pay attention because I'm very curious to see how this is going to, um, you know, keep going for younger generations who I have conversations with friends all the time who say I identify as a lesbian, but I don't like using that word. I just don't like the word, and I'm like, well, like why? What's wrong with the word? What What's, is wrong with the word? It's yeah. just a reference to like Sappho and Greece yeah. and like the Isle of Lesbos, which yeah. exists in real life people yeah I think it's just like, there's become <laughs> negative connotations of it whether that's like from within the LGBT community where people assume that means that you're very exclusive and that means you're biphobic or you're transphobic or and some you're people, humorless and you're yeah, dour yeah uh-huh. lots of negative stuff um, like it's limiting things that like I feel usually gay men don't have to deal with as much yeah. that gay women do and so using a word like lesbian to some people just immediately makes them sort of cringe and I hate that and I, mm-hmm. I try to investigate why that is because I don't know why but I've never felt that way about it I understand how sometimes it it can be used that way Mm -hmm. but you know I identify as like lesbian dyke queer gay you know all all the things that fit me I lean into les (laughs) and I definitely want to bring back hashtag lesie because that was the word that was like thrust at me as an epithet long mm. you know even just for being like tomboyish or gender sort of non-conforming mm. as a kid and you know in the 80s you sit you lazy or whatever <laughs> and, like, and I feel like they're like uh, films that do that as well mm-hmm. right um, where that that's like <gasps> That's the ultimate shame when you hear like some version of it. But I'm just like, you know what? Leslie sounds kind of cute. Yeah. I actually, that I brings e. up a point for me too is um, I, in the Todd Salon's film, um, Welcome to the Dollhouse, Heather Matarazzo, who is actually an open lesbian now, yeah. um, when she was in that movie, I remember them, you know, girls would come over to her at the lunch table and she'd be sitting by herself and they'd be like, Are you a lesbian? You know, that's like the first <laughs> couple of times that I'd heard that was it like in films being used uh, at, towards someone as, you know, something negative, as an insult. And so I think growing up, I probably, had those same sort of things like you know in my you know in my periphery like I'm sure other lesbians or people that might identify as lesbians had seen that as well growing up mm. and maybe that to them like was an internalized lesbophobia that they don't want to identify with that mm-hmm. specifically you know and everybody has such an individual you know with labels anyway but um, and yeah. queer which was such an epithet like is so domesticated and commercialized at this mm-hmm. point whereas again like there's not like you know you don't get like a you know Les I for the <laughs> straight right. guy. You would not. <laughs> you would not. But I would watch that. I yeah. so would. I definitely would watch that. And can I can I like sort of use that little joke to just say one thing I want to say about lesbian representation, mm-hmm. which I repeat in on what again on whatever platform <laughs> aside from the Sicily Alaska <laughs> episode. I like to say that I think that the richest area of lesbian representation on television in particular right now is reality cooking competition shows. <laughs> Yeah. So ch- <laughs> Chopped and Top Chef have given us so many celesbian many. chefs. Yeah. I mean, like the whole chef world, right? But but these reality cooking competition shows have brought us, you know, people talk about the lack of diversity in terms of like gender presentation and uh, lesbian gender presentation on TV. It's often mm. like femme women with long hair look really pretty, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But right. on Top Chef, on Chopped, you get tatted up, butch women, <laughs> throwing knives around, people still sporting faux hawks long before they're supposed to, you know, like that. <laughs> now that that's been phased out, but like long since they're supposed to. Um, yeah, so I do think that, I think that there's something about that. There's something about like seeing the accomplished, skilled, kick-ass butch. Yeah. Uh, on the small screen on these reality competition shows. I was not expecting you to bring in reality (laughs) television, but I'm glad that you did. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. 
Crooked Minis is brought to you by Boosted. Instead of sitting in traffic, searching for parking, or smelling your seatmate's sandwich on the bus, gross. Imagine riding the streets, wind in your hair on your own Boosted electric vehicle. That sounds fun. Boosted's vehicle-grade electric skateboards and scooters are the modern solution to your transportation woes. With a 22-mile range and max speeds of 24 miles per hour, Boosted is perfect for both running to the store and traveling across town. Designed to provide a luxurious experience, it's no wonder that Boosted was one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2018. With five options to pick from, including their scooter, the Boosted Rev, there's a personal electric vehicle that's tailor-made for you. Starting at $61 a month with financing, there's no better time to change how you move than now. Right now, Boosted is offering our listeners $75 off the purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code CROOKEDMINIS at checkout. Hey, hey, you bros. You want to get boosted later? <laughs> Sweet. Go to BoostedBoards.com and use the code CROOKEDMINIS at checkout to get $75 off your vehicle. And that's BoostedBoards.com, promo code CROOKEDMINIS. John, I don't like how time is looking at me. <laughs> Let's get boosted and get some DoorDash and we'll uh, have a good time. $75 off. Boost it. Get boosted. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Um, as y'all were talking about, you know, the peculiarities around using the lesbian word... I was like, oh, this is a perfect segue into the L word. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, they're rebooting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this was like the long, it was long running like Showtime series that was basically like a, a lesbian friends. I don't know if that's an appropriate way to describe it. Well, it was much it. more soapy. Yeah. Oh, it was yes. a soap opera. It was very sexy because it was on Showtime. They had to show a lot of sex, you know, so, <laughs> so, and that's so, so much sex in bras. Yeah, a lot of bras. <laughs> well, Jennifer Beals had a no nudity clause, so we had to do what we had to do. You know what I mean? Had to so, work your way around it. Let's take yeah. a look at this original season one trailer. Mm. Why is it so important for you to believe that everyone is sleeping with everyone else? Because they are. For your information, I'm looking for the same qualities in a man as I am in a woman. Big tips. Sexuality is fluid. Whether you're gay or you're straight, you just go with the flow. <laughs> now, I have to admit and say I've never seen not one episode of oh The Hour. Oh, my. I know, I know, I know. But that's a recurring trend on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what about the show for you all was like... I feel like a lot of people look back on the L word as a positive uh, overall representation of a variety of different type of lesbian women. But I could be wrong. Your faces are are giving me <laughs> some pause. It's mixed. It's okay. mixed. It's mixed. But I think that it's it, like. I think that we all acknowledge that the its significance again, like in much the same way that, like you know, sure there are a lot of things that we can say about Ellen, but like we acknowledge the significance of that moment. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge the significance of the L word mm-hmm. as this series, and also as a series that had that ran long enough to like jump the shark in so many different ways and so many, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different iterations. And it, it it you see the growing pains of being publicly lesbian or like dealing with story lesbian stories in a main on a mainstream platform you see mistakes you mm-hmm. see like the, like the terrible handling with certain aspects of race with certain aspects around like transness mm-hmm. and 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 also in terms of like just gender representation and diversity on the show uh, but it also was a delicious soap mm-hmm. it also was a tremendous melodrama and and the women who acted in it like they contributed something to like our the way that we understood ourselves as queer people the people from friends the tv show aren't emblematic of every straight person right Mm -hmm. and why do we expect that on a tv show about lesbians that they're going to be emblematic and true representations Mm -hmm. of who exactly we are Mm -hmm. they're they're ciphers Especially in LA, especially in West Hollywood. Yeah. In LA. I mean, it's so different. And that, um, you know, even just watching that promo, it's funny. I'm so aware of how many times they insert, um, like, something to do with, like, Tim, which was Jenny's, you know, boyfriend, or like, just, there is a man here. There's still a man involved. <laughs> or they have, like, Alice say, like, I just met a guy. And it's like, there's no really yeah. real reason. Like, she's bisexual, but, like, 
they have to like show you that you know it's um, there was a lot that I think they were trying to do which was appeal not just to a lesbian crowd I think they really tried to play up the sexiness of like the lesbian stuff to straight men as well to viewers that might you know be titillated by um, the idea of what they were going to be watching on such like a soapy sex driven show but then we got a lot out of it as well not just in you know the characters and the storylines but they had um, you know a lot of like lesbian and women musicians that made the soundtrack yeah. they had a lot of lesbian artists Bet was in the art world so we got a lot of Catherine Opie we got we Judy Bamber's yes. work in the title sequence we learned so I learned so much mm-hmm. about lesbian culture I mean they would bring up um, they would uh, do these um, little like nipple confidence or like bring up uh, like phrases that I'd never heard before and kind of give them a description and I'm like I don't know if those existed pre Word but they certainly do now because people use it as, you know, like a, it's it's our vernacular. Like mm-hmm. lesbians have the L word to draw from. We Most of us have seen it. Most of us are aware of, you know, certain characters or certain um, ideas that came from the show and we can use that whereas we don't have a lot of other shows that maybe we've all collectively experienced in that way. So that's what I'm appreciative of it um, for. But, you know, they're definitely, the trans um, guy on it was fucking off. And the show course corrected <laughs> throughout the, the show course corrected throughout its run Mm -hmm. in various ways too where it it realized that it had to deal with some class diversity Mm -hmm. right and also like the racial diversity or like lack thereof and and in fact in alice's relationship with tasha Mm -hmm. the uh the african-american military uh person who's closeted uh you get a lot of the things it's towards the end of the 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 series run but you get a lot of the 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 things that the the show was critiqued for not dealing with explicitly Mm -hmm. in their relationship and in their kind of processing moment and so i do think that i'm actually eager to see what the reboot's going to look like Mm -hmm. you know what it's going to be how it's going to with these knowledges address the things that people have said about it but it's a, a beautiful historical document of like this moment and also of a moment where where we get to see a show negotiating what it means to be on a major platform and to be explicitly mm-hmm. about lesbians because that whole thing about you know uh, accommodating or trying to accommodate wider audiences through the male gaze mm-hmm. right and or through like the insertion of these male figures literally and figuratively um, is something that the show itself even dealt with with a kind of voyeuristic Mark character right. who installed all these cameras and was like watching them and and you know so the show became self-aware and course corrected and and um, I'm, I'm only hoping that that these many years down the road uh it's a shame that not more shows picked up in between that version of the l word and the new one about to come out but mm-hmm. hopefully i don't know hopefully things will change yeah i mean my major frustration i think is we've gotten more lesbian characters we've gotten more queer women characters but they kind of exist singularly in a group full of otherwise heterosexual people mm. and yeah. so the l word was so fantastic because it was like us in relation to each other which is so much of our lives right we don't just exist you know as like the one lesbian in a room full of straights like that's the opposite <laughs> in my life yeah. so, so um, like, here's my straight friend <laughs> yeah so that was really disappointing to me I mean I've always appreciated whenever there is lesbian visibility in other TV shows but I think that's what's really missing that's been missing since the L word and that's why Orange is the New Black I think kind of had mm-hmm. a little heyday with that because they but they were in prison so they were forced together <laughs> right. you know so it's different when you're choosing to be around other queer women like yourself you know so that's the difference But one of the films that I wanted to bring up uh, because I think it it kind of was part of this moment of like like prestige indie film uh, potential Oscar worthy lesbian representation and that's Pariah. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, written and directed by D. Reese. Um, let's take a look at that. Break opens onto the sunrise, for even breaking is opening, and I am broken. I'm open. See the love shine in through my cracks. See the light shine out through me. My spirit takes journey, my spirit takes flight, and I am not running. I am choosing. I know for homecoming that I'd want to go with Craig. And who are you going to go with, Lee? I'm not going. What do you mean you're not going? If she doesn't want to go, she doesn't have to go. Got to keep doing my thing. I 
For some reason, they just doesn't like anything I pick out for her anymore. You look beautiful, baby. This isn't me. There's this new uh, women's club up there by the liquor store. You haven't heard anything about it, right? I, I never even heard of it. What if, say, somebody liked you? What if the person is kind of like a friend, but you know they like you more than that? I told you, I talked to Alike, everything's fine. Did you ask her? No, because I don't have to. You don't want to face the facts. No, don't Clemens, want that's not true. Look, when you... Your daughter is turning into a damn man right no, in front of your eyes, and you can't I'm broken. I'm broken open. Breaking is freeing. Broken is freedom. I'm not broken. I'm free. I think for me, this was the first time that I saw something for me that like centered a black, you know, lesbian coming of age experience and kind of the peculiarities around like like the conversation around like packing. Mm -hmm. Right. That's in this movie is amazing to me. Um, (laughs) And the fact that this movie, I think it it signaled a shift and a change right in Dee Reese's life and her ability to continue on making the work that she's making. Um, she would go on to do, she did Bessie mm-hmm. and then um, Mudbound from yep. a couple years ago, so on and so forth. Um, but I, I just remember watching this and just being just like, like amazed at this world that I knew existed, but like never saw actually on screen. Yeah. And I think she had a short film first that was that she did with Priya, and then she received, I think, money from Sundance to then make it into the feature, and it was so beautiful, mm-hmm. so fantastic. I think so many people. I mean, I remember I was at After Ellen at the time, so that was a site for lesbian and bisexual women representation, and it was one of the very first black stud lesbian led films by an out- openly black lesbian outside of Cheryl Dunye. Right. Um, but this was this just got a little more I think just because it came out of Sundance in this way that it gave it a little clout and it gave it a little push into you know you saw in the trailer it shows you all the nice things that all the critics were saying about it and it was getting all this kind of respect that I feel like someone like Cheryl um, she had gotten respect but not on that major mainstream level because I don't know it's just like something about like social acceptance hadn't caught up yet and so finally mm-hmm. D. Reese just happened at this time and she's so talented obviously and the performances are so amazing and it's just shot so beautifully mm-hmm. that everything just kind of came together and the critical aptitude for talking about independent cinema wasn't there in the same way that it is or it was when Pariah came out mm-hmm. I mean the one thing though that still also really disappoints me is that Pariah had tremendous critical success circulated through and, and all the festivals and mm-hmm. did really well in in you know a kind of awards push yeah um, and, and getting recognition in those areas but it's still something that uh, lacked distribution yeah like the things that we've been talking about all the things that center largely I think like white ensembles of of lesbians mm-hmm. and women um, they they have mainstream platforms but uh, something even as fantastic uh, an artistic production as Pariah yeah. still doesn't have that same distribution I think that that's that's hopefully something that uh, everyone remembers as they're you know uh, again like with with a new L word coming like I hope that that it's re- returned to this major platform reminds people that we need to bring things also like Pariah to m- more widely distributed arenas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like something like Rafiki I've seen yeah. now that, you know, I feel like it it didn't get as much <laughs> yeah. of a presence in theaters. I think it was very limited. I think that, um, you know, there's still a lot of people that aren't even really aware of it outside of like maybe like having heard about this controversial film, but, you know, at like an arm's length, having heard it, about it happening elsewhere, like in Kenya yeah. or Cannes mm-hmm. or whatever. So I think that, um, you know, we're still struggling to find distribution on a level that would really benefit us to be able to see depictions of, especially from other countries too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we, it, not even just like in a, in a America, but with, you know, women of color, queer women of color, but just like outside of it, just yeah. like Rafiki. And hopefully streaming platforms will help make that available, but so far yeah. they haven't really. Yeah, no. Yeah, something's going on. We should say that Rafiki, uh, it came out in theaters earlier this year, mm-hmm. but it was a part of last year's kind of award season conversation. It was the first Kenyan film, I think, that uh, uh, premiered at Cannes last year, not this year's. Yeah. Um, and it centers to, you know, queer Kenyan girls coming of age, mm. living, loving, enjoying themselves 
themselves, all of that. It's a beautiful, 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 beautiful mm-hmm. film. Love it. Um, but I think that this uh, kicks us off into a lot of the representation that people will be more familiar with, right? So that's Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Carol, as you mentioned before, Professor Marston and Wonder Woman, Handmaid's Tale, One Day at a Time, etc. Um, one thing I think I want to zero in on specifically is Lena Waithe, the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. I think that was like a landmark moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in our conversation. Let's take a little quick look. Ma, I'm gay. What? I'm gay. I just, I don't want life to be hard for you. It is hard enough being a black woman in this world. Now you want to add something else to that. (laughs) (laughs) I, so, uh, you know, that episode would go on to a lot of, Lena would win the Emmy, first black woman um, to win the Emmy for writing comedy series, writing in a comedy series. Um, And it would kick off, you know, her having all these 12 million projects that we see her name on from The Shy to she was in Ready Player One. She's going to be on Westworld Mm -hmm. uh, next season. All of this type of stuff. Um, But this I think this episode, this moment and her seem to like signal a shift. Um, in lesbian representation, at least from my vantage point. I don't know how you two feel about it. Yeah, it, it felt like a really perfect moment on television, that whole episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, I'd also, I, I, I've in, throughout my life made an effort to see, like, kind of, you know, different cultural representations of, like, coming out or what it's like to be a lesbian from, like, the that Asian-American movie Saving Face, mm-hmm. or is it Asian-Canadian? Um, it, but, but to this Thanksgiving episode which handled a lot of the kind of hard stereotypes about coming out in families of color and to mothers of color in particular in a way that was so tender and that that gave perspective to all the different points of view in the context of the family uh and and yeah I mean it's it's and also the way that, that this episode was shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, every little aspect of it, from the technical aspects to the plotting to the character stuff. I mean, it, and also just, uh, you know, in terms of overlapping with a historical moment that I could understand or cultural pop cultural references that were so, like, also resonant with me. Just, I don't know. I, I felt really overwhelmed when I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I remember just, like, weeping when I saw this episode um, streaming for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, it was just so well done. I think how it it kind of like did the jumping back in time for, you know, showing that even when she was very, very young, she was having these feelings. She was trying to consider what it meant, not just for her, but for her entire family and knowing that she had to, um, you know, repress that part of her, but then eventually have that hard conversation. But then also following that, all the yearly Thanksgivings that she then partook in with her family, bringing a different girlfriend around, (laughs) how they might treat her and how the eventual sort of um, acceptance doesn't come in, um, you know, like Angela Bassett being like, you know what, we're finally okay with you being gay, but just sort of like a nod to um, how she's evolved. Right. Yeah. And I think that for so many gay people, you know, I can speak for myself, like coming out, my mom, you know, was surprised and had to have her own sort of acceptance period, just like I had to have, just like I'm sure, you know, Denise Lena's character had for several years before you then tell someone else who might have been in denial and then they need to have that acceptance period for themselves. And it might take several Thanksgivings for them to get there, but it is a hopeful sort of message eventually that, you know, there is going to, it is going to become, it, it does get better, you know, as they <laughs> say. And you figure yourself out or you, sometimes you start to figure yourself out and then you lapse back into that, yeah. uh, you know, to dating really terrible people. Yeah, exactly. And your mom's it like, uh, not yeah. her. That's, that's okay, yeah. Where'd so, the other one go? Yeah. So I think one right show that we need to bring into this conversation because it is on right now is Vita, which mm-hmm. does uh, uh, kind of created by Tanya Siracho, Um and it has a lot of like queer Latinx situations going on. Yes, they have the hottest sex on TV. I will stand by that. I think they have the hottest <laughs> queer sex on TV and they have a fantastic lesbian character uh, played by a non-binary uh, trans um, actor who is so good and they have basically this sort of I mean it's a neighborhood underground dyke bar in a way like locals come but then there's also like a lot of lesbians that have been coming there for such a long time or otherwise queer people Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood and they're sort of revitalizing it um, these 
these two sisters are revitalizing it um, in the death of their mother who was secretly married to another woman. So uh, there's just like a lineage of queerness that's being explored outside of or in addition to community, um, uh, intersecting identities. They are supposedly gentrifying and whitewashing their own community because they are, you know, relaunching this their own bar. And so there's so many different things going on at one time, but they do it all so fantastically well in the way that it's, um, I I remember I asked Tanya about, what's the season going to be about? She's like, it's about tourism within your own community and what that means. And I love that idea. Yeah. You know, and and even though, like, I think the first season had a, a kind of mixed response, some mixed response Responses from within the Latinx community, especially here based in LA, I think that, like the L word did after its first season, it now that it's been renewed, renewed up to three seasons, yeah. Yeah. right? I think that the the show is really growing into itself and really taking the kind of storytelling risks that, uh, like talking about you know tourism within like a kind of brown on brown violences, yeah, in, in gentrification, uh, and also, I mean, and also, I just wanted to shout out like you know it's a show that's made by a lot of women and women of color and uh, in front of again and behind the camera uh, you know Rose Troche uh, Carmen Cavana the, the DP and Ava Bukowski who worked on Insecure, Insecure also yeah. shot you know mm-hmm. like uh, a lot of the show so uh, it's it's a, all, as a production mm-hmm. it's doing good work in addition to what we see on screen yeah all at next writer's room yeah. I mean like that's incredible yeah. the kinds of things that are now happening now like you know coming up Tales of the City had an all LGBT writer's room yeah. so yeah. now these things are being allowed to happen finally yeah. so yeah. it's amazing so it's exciting it's a great model yeah my last question for you two as we wrap up this is Pride Month mm-hmm. it is the 50th what anniversary since Stonewall Mm -hmm. as we're talking about particularly lesbian representation on screen you mentioned the L words coming back what are your hopes for where we will go from here in terms of of representation of lesbians I I mean this is my own personal thing I as someone you know as I mentioned who is femme presenting and dates masculine of center women like I never get to lust over anybody (laughs) there's never like a sex symbol for me outside of like when Lena Waithe does play a character and she can't play them all right like and I'm sorry Ruby Rose I guess is like androgynous and you know sort of like genderqueer in that way I guess but like there's just so few and far between masculine of center and that includes I would also include trans men and the trans masculine people in that conversation like it's because it is getting a little better but um, I feel like we're missing Missing out on positive portrayals of masculine of center people that are not all played by the likes of Leah Delaria, mm-hmm. who are sort of like leery and jeery and like kind of creepy. I think that, you know, we owe it to those people in our community to actually give them something to, you know, either even if it's an aspirational L word type scenario, something that does them justice, giving more people with that identity, you know, the ability to get in writers rooms themselves. Um, I think we're still kind of far behind on that aspect. So I think and that's something that I'd really love to see. But um, also, I think um, for the new L word, it's called Generation Q is sort of like the new added thing to it. So I think that we will see um, more intersections of identity on that show. I think we'll have like people that are not white and, you know, people that identify somewhere along the spectrum. I I read the pilot, but I'm sure they've changed things, so I'm not going to say it. But um, I am hopeful that this new generation will see lesbian characters that also identify themselves as lesbian mm-hmm. in addition to people who I, you know, identify otherwise because right. I think that's important. Yeah, my hopes are very similar too. I mean, yeah, ex- please transpose all of these amazing like hot kick-ass butches from uh, <laughs> Top Chef and, and, and <laughs> Top onto yeah. some scripted shows. Right. Let, you know, let these hey I'm available you can hire me anytime uh, you can you, as long as you you know maybe you can work on some of the laugh lines I've got going on now that I'm older just kidding but but it, it's yeah like I would love to see that I think I would also like I would love to see uh, another uh, kind of comedy series I'd like to see maybe a uh, a comedy series or a dramedy series the kind you get on your streaming platforms that afford you maybe 8 to 12 episodes mm-hmm. to play with you don't have to do 24 episodes for us but something um, with the same kind of quality and insightfulness that you get in that Thanksgiving episode from, from Master of None I know that there are people out there making and writing this material mm-hmm. and who are really incredibly capable creators yeah. uh, and from in front of behind the camera in writers rooms so many people to employ yeah. And so, uh, you know, listen up, industry. It's time. Yeah. There it is. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. 
I want to thank Trish and Karen for joining me this week. Now, my goal with each episode is to, yes, celebrate the groundbreaking characters and moments that have gotten us thus far, but I want us to all grapple with the ongoing inequalities that exist, not just with LGBTQ plus representation as a whole, but also within this beautiful alphabet soup of a community that we call ourselves. I hope you'll continue with me on this journey next week when Pride on Screen turns the focus to bi plus folks in film and television. That's bisexual, that's queer, that's pansexual, that's all of those folks. Make sure you're subscribed to Crooked Minis so that you don't miss any of this LGBTQ plus excellence. But be sure to also let me know your thoughts on the convos at Travel Anderson on Twitter. Positive only. If they're negative, tell nobody but God. Until next time, slay on. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.